Uh, now, we're going to get into tonight's message. If, did everybody get a handout sheet and a pen if you need it? Um, if you didn't, we've got uh, some more sheets on the, the podiums back there. Last week, we were able to just hang out, play some games, get some snacks. It was a good time. I appreciate everybody coming out. Uh, the, the week before that, you know, we were in a, in a study, and we just called it the prioritizing the gospel, right? Making the gospel of Christ a priority in our lives. And we were in, specifically, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you look on the screen, I've, I've got a couple of key verses just so that we can remember where exactple we were at a couple of weeks ago because we're going to kind of springboard off of that into tonight's study. 1 Corinthians 9:19 says, "For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all." And for the reason, Paul says, that I might gain the more." Right? And so Paul, we saw a couple of weeks ago, man, he, he was going to he had determined. That he was going to get into people's lives and he was going to make sure that he served them first. For the reason of being able, for the purpose of being able to gain them by sharing the gospel with them. Gain them for the kingdom of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.22, a couple of verses later, he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul wasn't, he wasn't going to stop at anything to make sure that he had opportunities to, to reach into other people's lives and to invest in them. And so, as, as we saw, and that, that's our calling also. And so, if you remember, I gave you some homework. You don't, I won't ask you to turn it in. I won't ask you to raise your hands whether you did it or not. You can just feel bad because you didn't do it, and I'll look at you shamefully. Um, <laughs> We're going to need that in a couple of weeks. So, you know, it, I was trying to give you a head start on some things. But the homework was to just list some people that you come in contact with. They could be close friends or just acquaintances. They could be people at work or a neighbor. Or maybe it's the, the, the guy or the lady at the, the checkout counter at the, at the bank or the grocery store, and you just see them every couple of weeks. Who is it that you put on your list that you're going to pray for, that you're going to look for opportunities to interact with on purpose. And so that was your homework, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that again um, in the coming weeks. We'll have more homework. If you look at the, the back of your sheet, don't, don't look too far ahead, but there's homework on there, okay? Now, all right, now turn it back over. Let's, don't get too far ahead of me. So we're still on the topic of sharing the gospel, right? We're still on the topic of prioritizing the gospel. We're, we're always going to be on that topic some way or other. We, we need to be, because that's what the Bible is all about. Colossians 2.6 is one of my favorite verses in the whole book. It's, it's so simple, and it helps me so much to just come back to where I'm supposed to be. When I get sidetracked and I get off and busy and distracted, this verse is, is one that, that helps me out. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So how did you receive him in the first place? Well, you received him through the gospel. Right? You placed your faith in his finished work on the cross. That's how you received Jesus Christ. So that's the same way that we should walk. Your entire focus was the gospel, was the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's the way we ought to be walking. We ought to be focused on the gospel. We ought to have that as our focus. That ought to be the central thing that we revolve around. That ought to help you When, when you get a little bit distracted and you lose your way, how am I supposed to be doing this thing? Well, I'm supposed to be living by faith 
in what Christ did for me. So how do I get through this day that's hard? Well, I do it the same way that I, I did when I came into this relationship with him. I, I'm going to take this day by faith. I'm going to place my faith in what he said is true, and I'm going to take steps of obedience. And that's, that's something that should, should help you. It, it, like I said, it, it helps me tremendously. The first point that, that we're going to get into, we'll get into in just a second. I want to pray first, but uh, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to go from Acts chapter 9. We'll be in, in there for a little bit if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9. And then we're going to bounce over to John chapter 9 uh, for the second point. Uh, as you're turning to Acts 9, I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get started on the sheet. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for all that you do in instructing us and guiding us. Uh, you never leave us without enough information. You never leave us empty-handed. You always put verses like, Colossians 2.6 in front of us when, when we seem to get distracted. And so I just pray that uh, these verses, these passages tonight will do that for us. They will help us to focus in on what our mission is and help us to have the courage to take steps of obedience to, to fulfill it. I pray that you would help us to be faithful. I pray that you would open doors for us. And I, hope, uh, and I pray that you would help us to you know, take bold steps of obedience into those open doors to, to proclaim your message of salvation. We love you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at, point one, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is our priority in life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our priority in life. Which is why the last message was called Prioritizing the Gospel. Right? So, wasn't that a shocker, right? All right. In the book of Acts, we see... Where, where all of this started for the Gentiles, right? Initially, Christ said, go to who? Yeah, good class participation. Thank you. <laughs> so he said, go to the Jews. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, were half Jews, and then to the rest of the world. Well, initially, they only went to the Jews, and then there was persecution that scattered them to those other places, but even then, they still were only talking to Jews, right? Paul is the man who comes on the scene his name is Saul. He's heading to Damascus. He actually hates Christians and anybody that believes and follows Christ. And he's on his way to, to take them to prison, and he's on his way to, to physically kill some of them. right? And he, he's, he's there with the purpose of doing more damage to the cause of Christ because he feels that he's doing what's right for God. And what happens to Paul, his name, again, his name is Saul at the time, what happens to Saul on his way to do this is he's stopped on the road and he drops to the ground because he can't see. Because Jesus Christ himself blinds Saul on the road to destroy more Christians. Right? And we pick up in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, and we see Saul's response to Jesus himself. He says in verse 6, he says, He trembling and astonished. I mean, can you imagine? You're, you're walking, you're on a mission to do harm to people, and all of a sudden, you just can't see anything, and, and you drop to the ground. You'd probably have the same reaction. Trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Right? This is directly after he's blinded, and, and Christ says, what are you doing? You're, you're going against me. And so he's saying, what, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So around the same time that that Saul's doing this and, and interacting with Jesus, 
Jesus is interacting with a man named Ananias, and he's telling him, hey, this guy named Saul is going to come to you. I want you to tell him the rest of what he's supposed to do. And we see those instructions in verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter. It says, But the Lord said unto him, to Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Did you guys know that that's your job too? That, that's my job too? We're, we're to be a chosen vessel for the message of the Lord. We're chosen vessels by the Lord and for the Lord. And like Paul, letter A on your sheet, is, is that we are to bear the name of Christ. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We also are to bear the name of Christ. Acts eleven twenty six says, When he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. This is, this is one of those groups of, of people that were dispersed and spread out uh, during the persecution. They find them in Antioch. They're faithful believers. And so Barnabas goes and gets Saul, and he goes over, and they spend a year there ministering to them. And it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Do you guys know what that word Christian means? We've talked about it before in here. It means little Christ. Right? And it wasn't the, the way that we use it today. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm proud to be a Christian. I believe in Christ. I follow Jesus. Back then, when it was initially coined, the phrase was supposed to be a derogatory term. Like, you guys think, you guys think you're like Jesus. You think you're little Christs. Christians, you know? Like, it's supposed to be a mocking term. But it's stuck. And so what we would be able to do is go to that passage and see the different characteristics of those individuals. Why did they call them Christians? Why did they accuse them of thinking that they were like Jesus? Because they were doing things exactly as Jesus would have done them. They were following him. They were his disciples. They legitimately were living as Christ did. And so, man, I, sometimes I wonder... Could somebody accuse me of being a Christian by the life that I live, by the things that I do, by the, the, the things that I say, and by the way that I walk? Could they accuse me of that, whether it's derogatory or not? I think that's a convicting question for me. So, the people around us, man, they should, they should have a reason to mock me because I look like Jesus. They should have a reason for that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And check this out in verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we seek to adhere to his word. It's all about his name. It's never about people noticing me and recognizing me and thinking that I'm great or that I'm a great Christian. It's, it's so that his name is advanced, so that his name is noticed, so that somebody takes notice of what he has done in my life, not what I've done, 
It's all about His name. We are to bear His name. We are to be little Christs. We're to be Christians. As the Bible defines it, not as the world defines it. We are to be somebody who looks like Jesus in the way that we walk and talk. That's why we adhere to it. So not only are we to bear His name, letter B, we're to suffer for His name. And man, this is some, some kind of uh, great advertising tool, right? Come to Jesus and there's free suffering for everyone. Hallelujah. What a, what a wonderful sales pitch. Look, the fact of the matter is life includes suffering. It includes suffering with Jesus or without Jesus. We have the opportunity to suffer on his behalf. We have the opportunity to suffer and go through it and have his name glorified in the process. We have the opportunity to leverage the suffering for his name. So we are to suffer for his name, not just to suffer. That, that's just life, right? Life stinks sometimes. Not always, but, but sometimes it does. It, it stinks more in 2020. But we're kind of getting numb to it at this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10 says, But in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God. Check out this list here. This is crazy. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, that's being whipped, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. As chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Why is this such a difficult calling? Because his name is worth it. Verses 17 and 18 of this same passage, at the very end, you see why. Why do we go through all that stuff? Why are we willing to suffer for His name? Because we get His name. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Check this out, verse, verse 18. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Because we get to take on His name, that's why. Because the God of the universe wants you and I to be his children. We get to be family. We go through all of the mess of verses 4 through 10 willingly because the result is that we get to put his name on display. We get to say, that's my dad, and he's got my back, no matter how bad it gets. We suffer so that others can glorify his name and take on his name as well. We've got some weddings coming up. And, and the wives are going to take on the husband's name. Why? Because they love their fiancé and will love their husbands. And they want to take that name on because they want to be a part of that family name. We get to take on the name of, of Christ. We get to be part of his family. God the Father calls me son. He calls you son and he calls you daughter. 
Any suffering is worth it to be a part of his family. And that suffering, again, puts him on display. This isn't Hollywood where you get to keep your own name because you're already popular or famous, right? You see the, the husbands and wives in Hollywood, the wives always keep their last name because, you know, they're already a big movie star. Well, this isn't about me. It's not about you. And I don't keep my identity. I trade that worthless thing in for his name. And he gave me a life worth living, suffering or not. He values me as part of his family. And that is, that's the best place we can be. In Acts chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Check out the, the, the caliber of men they sent. Men that have hazarded their lives for what? For the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you hazard your life for Christ? Why would you do that? Well, because his name is worth it. It's the only name that's worth hazarding your life for. Acts 21, 13, Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? He's, he's telling them, I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to head to Jerusalem. Somebody comes in and says, No, if you go there, man, you're, you're, you're certainly going to be arrested or, or killed or worse. And, and he says, What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, what a, what a bold statement. Bind me up, kill me. As long as it's for, for Jesus' name, I'm in. Whatever it costs. Paul was willing to go all the way. And not only are we to bear his name and suffer for his name, we are to, let her see, we're to persuade men to trust in his name. Because even with suffering and peril and all the things that that could and may come with celebrating the name of Christ. He's got my back. Right? He's, he's here. He's on my side. He's, he's looking out for me. So it's worth following him. Because of what he traded me. Again, I, I traded in my worthless name and all my sin and all my struggles and all, all, all of me that didn't measure up to anything. I traded it in for his righteousness. I traded in for his name, and he said, you're mine forever. And I'm going to make something out of you. Not so that you'll be noticed, but so that Christ will be noticed. He'll be glorified. And I'm going to matter for eternity. Because I have his name now. And people are missing out. And we're supposed to be persuading men to trust in that name. Acts 26, 28, Paul is sharing with King Agrippa. You know, he, it was, he was told to him on the road to Damascus, you know, you're going you're gonna to share with kings and royalty and the Gentiles and the Jews. And here he is before a king. And, it, and the king's response after Paul has finished telling his story, says, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And if you know what that means... That's one of the saddest lines in the entire scripture. Almost that guy placed his trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Almost. 
So almost isn't enough, right? Why would Paul try so hard? Why would Paul not just, if you read the, the narrative through this story, Paul, he starts, he's in court, he's been arrested, the Jews have accused him of doing things that he didn't necessarily do, and he had the opportunity to go, through the, go in front of royalty and, and set the order straight. He knew the Jewish law, King Agrippa knew the Jewish law, Paul could have gone in and just said, look, this, this is what they accused me of. Obviously, they don't know what they're talking about. Paul's smooth enough. He's educated enough. He could have gotten himself out of it, but he took it further. And he took it to the gospel. And he shared the gospel in front of the king, and it cost him his freedom. And almost, almost King Agrippa placed his faith in Christ. Because Paul knew his own freedom meant nothing if he missed an opportunity to persuade this man that Christ is the only way. He, he had wasted his opportunity, he had wasted his life if he just was worried about his own freedom. He hazarded his life for the name of Christ. He hazarded his life for the name of Christ in other people's lives, not his own. Because he knew what 2 Corinthians 5.11 tells us. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Look, it's... The, the world today is all about Jesus. If Jesus is your friend, if Jesus is your genie, if Jesus is your little decoration on your dashboard that you pray to, to give you what you want, when you want it, the world's all about that. The world is not about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're missing part of the name. You need the full name because he's not just there for you to be your friend to make sure that you have everything you need and life is cushy. It's about his name. And the terror of the Lord is that someday each and every one of us will answer for this life. And, and even though I'm messed up and I make mistakes and I'm selfish, you know what I'm going to answer for? I'm going to answer for the work that I did in the power of his spirit with his word, investing his word into the lives of, of, of people and eternity. Without Christ, you know what I'd have to answer for? My own sins. And I don't have an answer for that. And neither do you. Jesus is your answer. The Lord Jesus Christ. The terror of the Lord is having to answer for your own sins. You don't have an answer. Galatians 1.10 says, For now, or for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We've got to have our priorities straight. We seek to please God by persuading men. Because he wants to save. And we're the ones with the message. Right? If we keep that to ourselves, I mean, how selfish is that? All right, you guys get the point. We need to be about the gospel. So how do we do it? What do we say? How, how can we make it practical 
And you guys, are a- you're asking the right questions again. Um, you're so helpful. <laughs> Turn to John chapter 9. And we're going to look at one guy and his example in how we can share the gospel. One of the greatest tools, one of the most effective tools that we have in sharing the gospel is what? It's your testimony. It's your story of what Christ did in your life. We're going to look at another very effective tool next week, but one of the most effective tools you have is your story, your testimony. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's, that's the story of how Christ saved you. If you still have no idea what I'm talking about, you're probably not saved. And you need to come talk to me afterwards. Because that is the thing <laughs> that will change your eternity forever. Never ending. Because you are made of an eternal soul. It's going to exist somewhere, forever. And you need that to be in heaven with, with the Lord. So, we're going to look at this story. Uh, so most of you know this, this story. This is a blind man. Jesus comes along, rubs some mud in his eyes. He gets, he, he, he gets sight. He's amazed. Everybody's amazed. This, we're not going to read every bit of this story, so please go back to John chapter 9. Read this for yourself. But we're going to kind of hit the highlights and we're going to see what, uh, what this guy can teach us about sharing our testimony, sharing our story. The first thing that we see is, is that a changed life gets attention. Right? This guy's been blind his whole life, and, and all of a sudden, he has sight. This is an individual who, who was suffering, and the Lord provided him relief from the suffering. Everyone around him noticed. We just got done saying that that life involves suffering, doesn't it? You can suffer and be miserable and not have any answers and not have Christ and and just get through it and then pat yourself on the back and then suffer again by yourself and pat yourself on the back and, you know, it's just that it'll eventually run out. You'll run out of you to get yourself out of the bind. But when Christ gets you out of a bind, man, there's something that people notice. And that's what happened in this guy's life. John chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, it says, The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? Man, I don't know about you guys, but but when Christ uses suffering in your life, and gets you through something, somebody's going to notice. And that is the question you're looking for. It comes phrased a little bit different, but if you ever hear that question, how were thine eyes opened? How did God get you, or how did you get through this suffering? How come you're different? How come you're not freaking out like everybody else is freaking out? How come come COVID hasn't ruined your world? Why? How? How did this happen? Man, that's the question you're you're looking for. Don't miss the opportunity because God just swung a door so wide open for you. You've got to step through it. How did this happen? Well, he ends up telling them the story. But as you can see, letter B, some will resist the truth. John 9, 15, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. 
Pretty complex story, right? He did this, I did that, and now I can see. I don't know. He's just, just sharing the story. But anytime you see these guys called Pharisees come on the scene, you know there's trouble. Right? Every, if, you, if you follow through the rest of the story, they don't believe him. They doubt him. They ask him like three or four times. They go ask his parents. They're asking everybody because I just want, they're, they're looking for the guy that tells a different story. We're looking for a hole in your story, man. There's no way that could be true. So, what can you expect when you share your story? You can expect some resistance. That, that's, that's normal. It's okay. Don't be scared of it. But anytime you see the Pharisees, you know they're, they're going to they're gonna find a way to discount what Christ did. The ironic thing is these, these were supposed to be the guys that knew the Word of God the most. So what, what we see here in, in letter C is that God's Word divides. We're just going to keep working through this story. Verse 16, the next verse says, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. All this guy did was share the truth of what Jesus did. He shared the truth of what Jesus did, and what happened? The crowd was divided. Some believed and some didn't. Man, I don't know if you're like me, but every time I think of division, I think it's a terrible thing. I think, I think division's bad, but, but honestly, division within the church is bad. Division from the world is a good thing. Right? The Word of God actually divides. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my spot. <clears throat> How many of you guys remember what the, the name and the purpose of the, the last retreat was? Vinny's got it on his shirt. Well, what was the name of the retreat we had last summer? Uncommon. What does that mean? It means you're divided from the world. You're not like everybody else. You're different. That's what it's supposed to be, right? To be uncommon was to be holy, set apart. That's what the Bible can accomplish in your life. Uh, it's not on the sheet or on the, the, the screen. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Let me read that nice and loud for me. Hebrews 4.12. Alright, so the word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it do? It pierces... And it divides. It divides the soul from the flesh. That's what you want. If you're struggling with your flesh and its desires and you can't seem to get victory over that thing, you know what you need? You need the Word of God to help you divide yourself from that thing. Division is a good thing. When God's in control of that sword, when He's swinging that sword in your life, that's the division you want. But you can expect, when you're telling the truth of what Christ did in your life, you know what that's going to do? That's going to divide people. Some are going to be intrigued and want to know more, and some are going to be like, nah, you're nuts. 
yeah, I'm nuts. I'm nuts for Jesus, and it's okay. Because the trade was just worth it. I mean, just, it was just worth it. So the next thing that he does, and again, we saw this a little bit earlier, but what should you do when they don't believe you? And you don't have an answer. I don't know. They ask me these questions. I don't have an answer. Well, you, well, you tell your story. Tell, tell, what you, tell the story. Verses 18 through 21, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. That, so now, they, now they're like, you, you were never blind. This is a hoax. Everybody that knew him, they know. Right? They, they know, but there's going to be some people that they're just always going to doubt uh, and received his sight. And they called the parents of him that had received his sight, and they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? They don't even believe them now. <laughs> How then doth he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. There's some facts for you. <laughs> but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. When's the last time you spoke for yourself and shared what Jesus did in your life? When's the last time you spoke up and, and spoke for yourself? Don't, don't wait for somebody else to tell your story. Jesus did that in your life so that you could share your story. You speak for yourself. You are the authoritative source of what happened. You know you were blind. And now you can see. How'd you get it? How'd you get that sight? Don't wait for somebody else to share your testimony. Letter E. Tell what you know. Just tell what you know. Verses 24 and 25. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, check this out. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And the only thing that was different was an interaction with that guy you call a sinner. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. You know what a perfectly good answer is? When you don't know something? I don't know. But I do know this. Yeah, but, but what about this verse and that verse? And what about Bible versions? And what about this? I don't, I, I don't have all the answers to that. But what I do know is I was blind. And Jesus Christ interacted and intersected my life. And now I can see. Somebody shared the gospel with me, and I said, all right, Lord, I'm trying this thing on. I'm, I'm going to give my life over to you. I surrender. I'm done trying to figure it out on my own. Right, amen. W will you take this worthless life and, and make something out of me? And now I see. I actually have purpose now. I actually have fulfillment. I actually have peace. Do you have peace? Or do you just doubt everything? You're just angry about the gospel. Man, he gave me peace. He gave me sight. You don't have to tell any more than that. I don't know is a perfectly suitable and accurate answer. Especially when you're speaking on behalf of the Lord. If you don't know something, you probably shouldn't say the Lord said so. Right? 
Go figure it out. Go learn it. And then go back. Proverbs 17, 28. It's not on the, the thing. You might want to run it, write it down. It says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You know what? Sometimes the, the biggest way to let people know that you don't know what you're talking about is to answer anyway. Because chances are they're going to know something. And they're going to know, like, I don't talk about welding to John. Because I don't know about welding. I don't know how to weld. If I started talking about welding to John, he'd be like, I don't know if that guy knows what he's talking about about the Bible either, because he's just flat out making stuff up as he goes, right? I don't know. It's a perfectly legitimate answer. Say what you don't, or say what you do know. Stop there. If anyone asks a question you can't answer, you know what you just got again? Wide open door for another spiritual conversation. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I'm coming back, and we're going we're to work this out. Man, you don't, that's the hardest part, isn't it? Transitioning to a spiritual conversation, and, and here you are already in one, and you don't have an answer, but, but you can just say, I'm going to get an answer for you. I'm, I'm going to find out, would you, would you want to talk about this again? Yes, no, you're crazy, whatever, but you've got an opportunity that, that's just so wide open and obvious. Don't, don't miss it. Letter F. Some may reject your message. Again, this is the Pharisees. They, they're just fighting against this thing the whole way because they're prideful and they don't want to submit to Christ. John 9, verse 29 to 34. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not what from whence he is. They're still talking about Jesus. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a mar marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, could he, or he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? There's your pride. And they cast him out. Some people are going to respond by casting you out of their crowd when you speak up for the name of Christ. And some of us just need to hear this. People are going to reject you and your testimony. Some of us are afraid of that rejection and, and we'll just never share. because I, I just can't handle rejection. Listen, being rejected for sharing your faith is not failure. Not sharing your faith in the first place is. What are you going to give account of when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat? Ah, oh, Lord, I, I know I was supposed to share, but I was afraid of rejection. So, I think there's a parable about that guy burying what he was supposed to invest. And I was too afraid of losing it because I knew I was going to stand here before you one day and I just couldn't handle the rejection. I don't, I don't, want, I don't even want to make eye contact. Do you think you'll be able to make eye contact at that point? 
I did nothing with what you gave me. John 15, 18 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I think the issue is some of us need to stop worrying about the world hating us so much and start asking the question, why does the world love me so much? If I'm like Christ or walking with Christ and any of what He has and who He is is rubbing off on me, how do they still love me? How is there no rejection? Because I'm not opening my mouth, that's why. Because I'm just going with the flow, that's why. Because I want their praise more than His glory. That's the issue. That's, that's why I struggle. Why don't I open my mouth? Because, you know, I might be rejected. Because it's hard. Because I want people to like me. Because, 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 all, all of those reasons. The world is going to reject the gospel. But that's not failure. The last point we have is that God will reward your faithfulness. God isn't requiring results. He's requiring obedience. What you will be rewarded for is submission and obedience. Not the numbers, not how many people believed your story, but how many people you refused to let walk by without hearing it. How many Agrippas rejected your story? He's not going to ask that question. How many did you give it to? Verses 35 through 38, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You know what the result of going through this whole thing was? This guy one-on-one worshipped Jesus Christ, his Savior. That's what he got out of this whole deal. He got rejected by man, but he got closer to Christ. He got to try on that name a little bit and show it to the world, and they rejected him, but but Christ is going to draw you close, and you're going to know him better, and you're going to walk with him closer. And your life is going to be a life of worship. And that's, that's where we need to be. That's what we need to be striving for. I have some homework on your sheet. This will help you with this whole thing. I don't want to just say, go share your story, go share your story, go share your story, if, if you don't even know how to do that. Acts chapter, nine, or Acts chapter 26 is your homework. Read Acts 26. Look at Paul's testimony. This is where he's sharing with Agrippa. He's going he's to do three main things. Paul tells his story of who he was. Right, He was Saul on the road to Damascus to destroy Christianity. That's who I was. I was against Christ. He shares how he came into interaction with Christ. This is how he met me. He met me on that road. He did this. I gave up. And then he shared who he is now and what Christ sent him to do 
and what Christ does in his life now. There's three parts to your testimony. Who are you, or who were you before Christ? What did your life amount to? What did you struggle with? What did you give in to? Was there any peace? What was life like before Christ? How did Christ come into your life? Who introduced him to you? What did you hear? What did you understand? How did you come to the point to where you knew, man, I can't do this anymore. Not by myself. I can't carry this load. It's too heavy. i got to turn this thing over to Christ. How did that happen? And what did he give you in return? And what is life like now? Nobody's perfect. It's not perfect on the other side. That's why he's perfecting you. He's going to build and edify you and, and use the church to build you up. Of course you're not perfect. None of us are. What was life like before Christ? How did you come to meet Christ and surrender to him? And what is it like now? That's your testimony. Can you share that in five minutes? If that's all you've got? If you've got a half hour, can you, can you go into detail? Now, every, some of you are in here and, oh, I was a good Christian church kid and I don't really have an exciting story. Don't downplay what Christ did in your life. It doesn't have to be exciting. That's not the point. Your story is that he rescued you from everybody else's sins that they got to experience. I, I would trade an exciting testimony for a boring one any day. Because the testimony is what he does to keep you from the rest of the world. The testimony is what he's capable of. The testimony is, is who he's making you to be. It's his story in your life. Quit making it about your name. It's his name that matters. Your story doesn't have to be exciting. He's exciting. We have hope because we place ourselves in his name and stand on that hope. So your homework is read Acts 26, follow Paul's example, write out your testimony, describe who you were, how you met him, and who you are now. And the biggest part is try and share that with somebody. Don't, don't write it out and say, here, would, would you check my grammar on this thing? They don't even know they're reading my testimony. I mean, you might, you might try that, but share it with somebody. And, and if... And if you get started and they say, well, I, I'm sorry, I, I really got to get going. Be crazy enough to say, well, could we sit down sometime? And I'd love to share this with you. And there you've set an appointment with a wide open door to talk about spiritual things. Just because you were crazy enough to say, man, I, I'd love to hang and, and talk to you about this. I care about you and, and I think you could use this in your life. Who knows? But maybe, maybe you don't have that opportunity yet and you just need to be all things to all people for a while and get into their world and care about what they care about before cramming the gospel down their throat. Maybe. But don't use that as your get out of, oh, Matt almost gave me homework and he's going to ask me next week, you know, did I share with anybody? Don't, don't use that as your excuse to not do what he's called you to do. It doesn't matter if I'm disappointed in you or not. What were you called to do? We're called to prioritize the gospel. It, it's too important. And people, time is running out. And people are going to go to hell. People that we know and love. And I want to get the message to them. Would you join me? All right, let's pray.
Father, thank you that you've given us you've given us a purpose that is so valuable. It doesn't need to be about my name. It doesn't need to be about my credit. It's always been about you. Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves and forget about our own names for once? Would you help us to, to put your name on display? And you, You've given me so much. I, I, am, I am so blessed. This call to suffering is... It's from time to time. There's suffering. There's difficult things in life. But Lord, would you help me to, to leverage my suffering for your name? Would you help me to put you on display? When you bring me through something, would you give me an opportunity to give you credit in front of somebody else? Lord, you're just, you're just so faithful and patient and loving and everything we see around us shows that time's running out and, and we need to be urgent, Lord. Would you help us? Help us to get our priorities straight. Open doors for us and give us boldness, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.